Right now in the United States Congress, there is a bill that will implement price controls on prescription drugs. And while some might think this sounds like a good idea, history has shown the disastrous consequences of price controls. I'm Dwayne Lester, and in this Insight to Action, Dean Clancy, Americans for Prosperity's Senior Healthcare Policy Fellow, and Jeff Holtzman, the Director of Communications for the Healthcare Priority Initiative, explain not only the dangers of price controls, but better alternative solutions to high drug prices. Here we go. Dean, it's a pleasure to speak with you again. This time we're getting into more of a, a legislative matter. There's there's talk of there being some sort of prescription drug pricing program. Can you tell me what this legislation is and what it would do? Yes, Congress is actively considering legislation that would impose prescription drug price controls, not just in government programs like Medicare and Medicaid, but on all health insurance in America. It's a bill called H.R. 3, and it uh, it would affect all of us and in a negative way, it, because price controls have the effect of creating scarcity. Yeah, when you when you impose price controls either as a, a price floor or price ceiling, you're you're either going to get one of, of two consequences from that. You're either going to get shortages or you're going to get surpluses. And it sounds like what this would do is this would set a cap saying ignore what the market says the price of this drug is. This is what we say it will be, and if the if the product is worth more than that price, then you will start seeing a shortage, won't you? Yes. HR3 will lead to drug shortages, and uh, it will also stifle innovation because it will reduce the profits of uh, the inventors who come up with these life-saving therapies. They'll have less incentive and less resources available to bring out the new drugs that save lives uh, in the future. And by the way, new drugs uh, typically actually lower the cost of health care overall because they help to prevent uh, long hospitalizations, unnecessary doctor appointments, and so on. So H.R. 3, in attempting to deal with the high cost of certain drugs, would actually kill the goose that lays the golden egg. It would, uh, you know, saw off the limb that it's sitting on, and it would hurt hurt all of us. Jeff, when you look at H.R. 3, uh, tell me what you find most concerning about it, and can you tell me a little bit about its origin, maybe, and who's behind it and what they're thinking? Well, I think this has been around for a while. This is a proposal that um, has been introduced in Congress several times before, so it's not a new proposal. And as recently as 2019, it passed the House. So it's, you know, it, it has a lot of support in the Democratic caucus. It, you know, there, there are a lot of um, things that there are a lot of dangerous aspects of this bill. And I think Dean just touched on the fact that it would lead to drug shortages. And that's perhaps the biggest harm that it would cause. And, you know, I think the goal um, of making prescription drugs more affordable is laudable and certainly one that we would we would share in and support. But obviously the approach that this legislation takes is not the right approach. 
you know, it's it's going to deny people access to the drugs and the life saving medicines that they need to, to stay healthy. And as Dean pointed out, prevent uh, even worse illness or ending up in the hospital. So so really saving money in the long run, it it has a negative effect on that uh, by taking access away on the front end and, and making it harder for people to get prescription drugs. And then, you know, as we've seen with COVID, the COVID vaccines weren't developed overnight. They were, you know, produced very quickly and brought to market in less than a year, which is a miracle. And it's a, probably a modern day record. But the fact is a lot of investment, billions and billions of dollars were invested into the technology that serves as the backbone for these COVID vaccines, particularly the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, which use mRNA technology. Th that would not have happened under a government takeover of prescription drugs and a government takeover of the biopharmaceutical industry. And we know that for a fact because it's happened in Canada, where government price controls have led to fewer drug companies, or, or I should say, have led to more drug companies leaving the country, that it's led to less R&D, less research and development, less spending and investment into, into new drugs and technologies and therapies in Canada. And as a result, you know, Canadians have access to something like 50% of all new drugs, whereas America, in, in, in here in the U.S., Americans have access to like 90%. And so, you know, we, we've seen firsthand the dangers of, um, of imposing government, government price controls. And why we would want to go down that, that same path here is, is anyone's guess, but it's not the right prescription for this country. Dean, he meant, Jeff mentioned a little bit ago that the idea of or, or the goal of lowering prescription drug prices is laudable. But we know from experience that price controls will create shortages. If you were pulling the strings and you had, had control, how would you go about lowering prescription drug prices? Well, I'm glad you asked because, yes, there is a better way, a way to get drug prices down naturally without all the negative side effects that we've been talking about from price controls. Um, we have our own plan here at Americans for Prosperity. Uh, we refer to it informally as a personal option for prescription drugs. Uh, the basic idea is let's put consumers in charge and have competition and price transparency. Drug prices will come down naturally. If I can just tick off the five basic uh, parts of that plan, and, and then, you know, if you want to get into the weeds, happy to do it. But the basics are first, faster drug approvals. Let's get more drugs to market by reforming the federal bureaucracy that has been a big uh, choke point in getting drugs to market. Second, let's have more generic alternatives to brand name drugs that can be much less expensive so we have more competition. Third, let's let everyone in America save and spend for health care and prescription drugs tax-free. That's like giving people a discount on every purchase of a prescription drug. You do that through something called a tax-free health savings account, or HSA. Fourth, let's improve the way Medicare provides prescription drugs so we protect seniors from out-of-pocket costs. Right now, Medicare actually doesn't do a very good job of protecting seniors from uh, more expensive drugs. You can go broke while paying premiums for drug coverage while on Medicare. We can change that, and in a way that doesn't break the bank. Finally, let's allow individuals and importers to bring legal drugs into this country from other countries 
without any hindrance. Right now, we basically have a protectionist policy that keeps lower price drugs from coming into our country. That keeps prices higher uh, here at home. And um, with these five things, faster drug approvals, more generics, HSAs, better Medicare benefits, and legal drug importation, we can do a ton to bring down the cost of prescription drugs. Jeff, how do you respond to someone who says that we actually need something like this, we need price controls, and they point to countries like Canada who have prescription drug costs that are much lower than the United States? I mean, again, what I would say is the goal of making prescription drugs more affordable is laudable. We agree with that. But it shouldn't come at the expense of cutting off access to the prescription drugs that you need. Putting the government in control of your medicine cabinet is not the right approach. There is a better way that Dean just outlined to making drugs more affordable and continuing to make sure that people have access to the drugs and the therapies and the treatments and medicines that they need. And that is what the personal option for prescription drugs is all about. It takes a much smarter approach than strictly imposing government you know, price caps and having the government say, this is what we're going to pay you in, in exchange for making these drugs and bringing these drugs to market. That's going to cut off access and it's going to it's going to harm the very people that we're trying to help in this situation. So that's what I would say. And again, I would go back to my earlier point and say that we've you don't need to this isn't some theory. This has been tried in other countries. This is you know, this has been tried in Europe, this has been tried in Canada. And the result both times has been less access and and less research and development, so less innovation um, and creation of new drugs and therapies. So it's a loser. Dean, did you want to build on that? I thought I heard you about to say something. Yes, I wanted to just add there that uh, the uh, the economics profession knows that we're right about this. Um, 163 prominent economists, including Nobel Prize winners, signed a letter uh, to the Trump administration opposing proposals to impose price controls during that administration. Uh, for very good reasons that we've been discussing. It leads to shortages. And the White House Council of Economic Advisors during the Trump years studied the question, and they concluded that imposing H.R. 3, they looked specifically at that bill, would lead to 100 fewer new drugs being developed over a decade. There are only about 30 new drugs approved in this country annually. And so you're talking about a huge reduction. And for every new drug that doesn't appear, you've got all the negative costs of people who um, could have been treated more efficiently. So, um, so the economics profession is, is, you know, raising the red flag here. Policymakers need to listen. You know, and I would just add to that, Dean mentioned the White House report that came out just a few years ago. Um, it's not just that we would lose access to drugs and we would lose the ability to bring new drugs to market. And so people would lose the opportunity to, to try new drugs and therapies. It's There's a massive economic toll from a policy like HR3 as well. The Council of Economic Advisors in that same report estimated that price controls would reduce annual economic output by $375 billion to $1 trillion. That's around 10 to 30 times what HR3 is projected to save. 
So not only does it ration drugs, lead to drug shortages, which is unacceptable for this country, especially at a time like now where we're coming out of a global health emergency, but it also has a devastating impact on the economy. Why are prescription drug prices in America so much higher than they are in other countries? Well, primarily because of misguided government policies. Uh, for one thing, uh, government health insurance programs tend to pay for drugs in ways that lead to a loss of price transparency and, um, and inflated prices. And private insurers tend to follow those same policies so that whatever Medicare does, for example, the private insurance industry tends to do the same thing. Second, um, drug companies uh, have incentives created by government to game the system to, in effect, prolong their temporary patent monopolies. It's, it's the system that, that causes this behavior, but the result is drugs don't have enough competition, prices stay too high. Third and finally, and this is the most important point, federal red tape, uh, especially at the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, makes it hard to approve a new drug in this country. It takes about $3 billion and 10 years to bring a new drug to market in America. We could shave two-thirds of that cost and time off the process if we reformed FDA and turned it into an agency focused in a laser-like way on safety because, you know, the, the FDA imposes lots of hoops and hurdles that are frankly not necessary. And then we could speed drugs to market that way. And by the way, uh, a lot of drugs get approved in other countries and not in America. And Americans wait for years for access while FDA dithers. We could speed that up by having FDA just automatically approve any drug that has been shown to be safe in an advanced foreign country we trust, like Europe, Japan, or Australia. Something that I had read years ago, and so I'm, it's, it's in the brain, it's a little bit fuzzy, but I seem to remember reading something that a, a prescription drug company in the United States, like you said, spends 10 years, upwards of a billion dollars, getting this drug to market. There are no price controls in the United States, but when this drug company goes to Canada, they do have price controls, and they say, if you want to sell in this country, that has to be this amount of money. They go to some less scrupulous countries. They might say, you can sell in this country, but it has to be this amount of money, or we're just going to reverse engineer it and make generics here in the country. Are there, are there situations where drug companies are forced to sell at a very small amount which turns around and makes them almost have to recoup all of their research investment from the United States? Yes, that does happen. Foreign governments do love price controls, but the result, the downside for the, the people of those countries, as Jeff pointed out, is less access to life-saving therapies. He mentioned France, and or Canada, excuse me, but also France. Only about half the new drugs are available, whereas Almost all new drugs are available in this country. In Spain and Greece, it's only 14% of new drugs are available. That has a real negative impact on people. But yes, if all the other countries free ride on the United States, which is trying to live by market principles, it will tend to push prices up here. That's why part of our proposal is to let 
individuals and importers bring drugs in from those countries. Now, some people criticize this as, quote, importing foreign price controls into the U.S., but I would flip that around and say what we're doing is we're exporting our more market-based policies to those countries. It puts pressure on those governments to relieve the price controls. And in fact, Canada has basically said they don't want the U.S. importing drugs from Canada because they're afraid that that will cause problems on their side of the border and they'll end up having to lift their price control. You know, I hadn't considered that before, but I'm sitting here thinking, um, Dean, look, if if we import from Canada because they have price controls and we're doing a disservice to the manufacturers in America because they're not recouping that, that research and development investment, but at the same time, the way you explained it just now, uh, it goes back to when you put price controls in place, you will create a shortage. And so if we're importing all the all those discounted drugs from Canada, they're going to experience a shortage in their country. And therefore, that might incentivize them to get rid of that so that they can allow market forces to bring some sort of equilibrium to Canada. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Market forces work. Um, the laws of economics don't change. And when governments interfere with markets, bad things happen. But when we allow you know, free men and women to engage in voluntary exchanges of mutual benefit without coercion, good things happen. And that's really the essence of our personal option for prescription drugs. Let's let good things happen. You know, uh, Jeff talked about the pandemic. I don't think we would have a COVID vaccine today if HR3 had been enacted in, you know, say five or, or even three years ago, because the industry would have been so hard hit by the price controls that it wouldn't have had the resources to do the, the tough R&D work that you have to do, and which is very expensive, $3 billion to bring one new drug to market. Why, why that high cost? Because so many drugs don't pan out. You have to try so many different holes. You know, it's like uh, drilling for oil. You got to drill so many holes before you finally find some oil. And same way with drugs. And um, if HR3 had been law in the last few years, I'm not sure we would have COVID vaccines today. Uh, it's such a great point, and I think it's one that policymakers miss out because they're so short-sighted. But the fact is, COVID-19 pandemic is not going to be the last public health crisis that we face in this country. And, you know, I'm not all for the doom and gloom. I can't wait till we're through the woods fully on this on this pandemic and out of the woods. And hopefully we're in a better place as far as our public health infrastructure addressing gaps that led to the pandemic and put us in a vulnerable state. But what I'm saying is it's just law, a law of inevitability that we will be faced with another public health crisis in, in, a, in a matter of time, whether it's two years from now, five years from now, or a decade from now is anyone's guess, but it will happen. And we need to be prepared. We need to keep our defenses up and learn lessons from this pandemic to make sure that we're not caught off guard again. And I think one of the biggest lessons and biggest takeaways we should have learned especially our policymakers who are supposed to be really, really smart, thoughtful people, is that you want to encourage a thriving uh, drug development industry and medicine development industry and treatment uh, development industry. You want to encourage the innovation that produces these drugs and therapies to make sure that they're reaching people instead of discourage them, okay? Because if you do that, which is what HR3 would do, then obviously you leave people more vulnerable, you expose, you, you create an even bigger gap in terms of preparedness, and you make it harder, and you make it take longer 
for those life-saving therapies and treatments to come online to serve people. I mean, it, it took drug companies, Moderna and Pfizer, uh, and the companies they partnered with were able to sort of bring their product. Uh, once they developed the technology, they were able to bring their product to market in less than a year, which is miraculous. But they had the incentive going back years and years and years before they um, before the pandemic hit, where they were pouring time and money into this technology. And like Dean says, failing small so they could succeed big. And they knew at the end of the day that it was an investment worth making because it was going, you know, they were going to have a market for this. And under price controls, I'm not so sure that they would have made that same bet because they would have looked at it as a, a really inefficient economic opportunity. How did they get it to market in a year when all the other drugs take 10 years? And maybe I'm wrong, but it would seem to me that government got out of their way. Is that what happened? Yes, yeah, so I'll jump in here. Um, the, the, the success story of the pandemic is government getting out of the way, removing barriers. When government stayed in the way, we had trouble finding test kits that worked. We had trouble finding personal protective equipment in sufficient supply. Um, hospitals were overstrained because they couldn't expand thanks to government red tape and regulation. But when government stood out of the way, and the vaccines are the best example of this, wonderful things happened. And yes, the vaccines occurred in record time, as, as Jeff pointed out, because government said, you know what, go for it. We're going to compress the uh, clinical trial requirements. We're going to streamline this. We're going to basically get rid of the red tape that we normally impose for, frankly, no good reason, uh, because we want to save lives. Well, if you needed to remove red tape to save lives in a crisis, why would you go back to the red tape after the crisis? There are uh, there are reasons to to look at price controls, and if you're uninitiated to the consequences of that, say yes, we should have the same prices as that. But you all have made a a great case that this will have far more consequences that are negative than positive, and it goes back to the idea of that which is seen and that which is unseen. Oh, we might see lower drug prices, but we won't see all the potential drugs and cures and, and innovations that we would have seen because there's no incentive, there's no profit motive, there's no reason for them to do this because we're using antiquated economics to somehow create a utopia and we know that won't happen. You know, it's it's one of those things that it's kind of a feel-good bumper sticker slogan. You know, we're going to cap the price of drugs, so you're going to pay nothing or pay next to nothing. That sounds great. I mean, who's going to say no to uh, free free medicine or very inexpensive medicine? But I think what people don't understand, and that's why it polls well, but what people don't understand is there's a trade-off. There's always a trade-off with any policy that's made. And in this case, the trade-off is monumental. Yes, you might experience a little more affordability, but at the expense of not having access to the drugs that you need and at the expense of us not having uh, access to new life-saving drugs that can come online and treat the next generation of disease and sickness and, 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 and cure those. That's a massive trade-off to make. And in our view, it's unacceptable and it's one that people shouldn't, uh, shouldn't stand for. There's a better way 
where we can have our cake and eat it too. We can have more affordability and we can also continue uh, ensuring that there's access, that people have the right access to the drugs that they need. And so when you go to your pharmacy to fill up, that drug is, is available. and You can get your prescription filled. Not to oversimplify it, but you know, if the government said, hey, we're going to cap the price, diapers are too expensive, we're going to cap the price, and it's 11 o'clock and my baby's out of diapers and I need to run to the store, and I see a price, I see a sticker on the shelf that says, you know, diapers are free, but there's no diapers on the shelf. Well, that does me no good. If I can't have the access to the product that I need, then it doesn't matter what the price is. If it doesn't exist, that does me no good at the end of the day. That's what we're talking about here with HR3. Thanks again to Jeff and Dean for taking the time to talk with us today about prescription drug price controls and the negative impacts it would have if applied to the American healthcare system. If you have any questions on this or any other things we've talked about, please send me an email at i the number 2a at afphq.org. I'm Dwayne Lester and this has been Insight to Action.